and welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. We have a busy few weeks ahead of us here at While We're Waiting with 10 bereaved parent retreats coming up in the month of April alone. We're so excited to be having events in Arkansas, Oregon, Georgia, Nevada, Minnesota, and Maryland over the next few weeks. It's such a blessing to have the opportunity to meet and connect with other moms and dads from all around the country who have experienced the loss of a child, though we truly do wish there was no need for a ministry like this one. To learn more about our While We're Waiting retreats, visit our website at www.whilewe'rewaiting.org. Today, I'm pleased to introduce you to my friend Judy Hostetler, who we met when she and her husband came to our While We're Waiting weekend in Arkansas in August of 2019. In the first half of this two-part episode, she shares the stories of her baby boy Joshua and her young adult daughter Kaylee. I believe you'll be both moved and encouraged as she shares her heart with us today. Hi, Judy. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Jill. Yeah, I've been looking forward to our chat ever since we set it up. So I'm glad you're here. Yes. On your Facebook page, you describe yourself as a Jesus-following, husband-loving, full-time homeschooling mom to my awesome kids. (laughs) So why don't you expand on that a little bit? Absolutely. So I am blessed to be married to my college sweetheart. We've been married 30 years and still going strong. And we have had four children that God's blessed us with and have homeschooled them. So I'm still on my last one right now. I'm in ninth grade for the fourth time. So (laughs) it's good. (laughs) Yeah. And love Jesus. Uh, I got saved when I was in college. Um, did not come from a Christian home. And so I met Jesus at a Christian college when I was 18. And my life's never been the same since. Yeah. How did you come to know him in college? Was it a special meeting you went to or a friend that led you to the Lord? What was the situation? Yeah, that's a great question, Jill. So I ended up, um, I was in a foster home when I turned 18. And I was at a public high school. And I knew that after graduation, I was either going to be homeless or had to learn some way to take care of myself. And my guidance counselor asked if I'd thought of college. And I said, no, I don't have a family or money to go to college. And he asked me to write an essay and I don't even remember what it was about, but I wrote this essay and it seemed like forever, but in reality, it was probably a month or so. And he came back to me and said, so there's a small Christian college about an hour from here that would like to give you a free ride if you'd go. And I'm like, sure, I'll go because that's four more years of not being, having to take care of myself or being homeless. And so I went and a month after school started, I was in a mandatory chapel service and a little Baptist preacher talked about heaven and hell and what sin was. And there were things I'd never heard of. And I knew he was talking to me. So it was in that moment of that day, I gave my life over to Christ and he has slowly transformed me into the journey that my life has held for all these years. And that was, that would have been in 1988. So long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I never knew that story. I yeah. love that. I love that. Oh, yeah. Me and too. so you met Michael there. Yes, I did. I was a freshman. He was a senior and uh, we started dating and we ended up getting married three years later. So my senior year. And that's kind of where our story began. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. 
So as I was preparing for this podcast, I realized that I really haven't heard your story myself because the retreat that you came to, we did not facilitate. So I have not really gotten to hear your story. So I'm looking forward to hearing it along with our listeners. Yeah. And I know you have two children in heaven, Joshua and Kaylee. And I think, was Joshua your firstborn child? So he was. So we had um, gotten married in 1991 and things were going well and found out right around our one year anniversary that I was expecting. And we weren't expecting that, but we were still excited. And I was about five months into the pregnancy and just woke up bleeding one day. And Michael was just about to head off to work. And I ran out the door in my pajamas and I said, I think something is wrong. And so he rushed me to the doctor. And what we came to discover was the baby was coming. And they sent me to a big city hospital because we live in a rural area of Ohio. So just small hospitals. They sent me to a big city hospital and took me to surgery and kind of put the baby back in. And it was at that time, we didn't know that the baby had contracted a bacteria by coming and it infected my uterus. And so back in those days, Joshua would be coming up if he had lived, he would be 30 this year. Back in those days, that particular bacteria, mycoplasma, was fatal to the babies 100% of the time. So I knew that my baby was going to die. Um, I also became very sick. And so I suppose for Michael, he was also at the fear of his wife dying. So they um, had me in the hospital. They were treating me with medications, medications to stop labor, medications to treat the infection. And I made it for about a week and my water broke. And so it was sort of a surreal moment where you know that there's no highway option. You have to walk through what you're about to walk through. Mm -hmm. And I remember Michael and I praying and just sobbing, knowing that we were going to deliver him at 20 weeks and we would have to hold him while he died. He was too young to incubate and he was very sick. So we invited all our family to the hospital and while I was laboring, they wouldn't let him back for that. We wrote a letter to our family, just relinquishing our son to God and realizing that he could give our son a far better home than we ever could and that we knew we'd see him again one day. It didn't make it any easier to go to, right. but it, it gave us just that assurance of the hope that we knew that we had and that we needed to anchor onto in those moments. And so we delivered Joshua and held him. He lived for about 20 minutes. He looked just like his dad. He was just really small. And then we invited our family in so that they would have time to know this precious little person that they're not going to know until they get to heaven someday. Yeah. And so I remember in that moment after that, um, my recovery was difficult and it was very hard to come home from the hospital. Once I was allowed to come home, we had a small service for him that was very difficult. And then to go home and you have the empty crib and you're still going through all the things as if you had a baby, but you don't have your baby there. And I remember crying out to God and telling Michael, 
I could never go through anything harder than this. And little did I know that <laughs> we should never say that to God because he equips us for what we need to go through. And I did have to go through something different, but equally as hard. Yeah. Yeah. So you were really still, I mean, at that point, a relatively new Christian. Yes, at the I time was. that you lost Joshua. Yes, yes. And how did that impact your faith? Just from hearing your story, it sounds like you did walk through it yes. with a lot of faith. Um, did it strengthen your faith? Did it cause you to question God? What What was that experience? That is such a good thing to ask because I think in that time I'd probably been a Christian for, let's see, three, four, maybe four to five years mm -hmm. and was just hungry for the word of God and, and still growing and learning like we do our whole life. But yeah. it caused me to understand the brevity of life. I don't think it's something I really had a good grasp of before. And I would have to say that I fully, I think, went to another level of understanding, not only the providence of God, but that he is good in every circumstance. Because out of that really hard time, there have been good things that have come. The loss is easy to see because it's painful and it's hard and it hurts. And your life never returns onto that path that you thought you were going to be on. But there's a new doorway and a new path. And understanding God's in the midst of that. He didn't abandon us or leave us. He's there with us. And so I know that having gone through that has bred, I, I guess I want to say maybe a passion for me for eternity that maybe wouldn't have been there without it. Yes. Yeah. I can relate to that too. We certainly, yes. I think as bereaved parents, we have that, that, like you said, a passion for eternity, a longing for eternity, a new perspective as far as eternity than we ever had before. I know I did. Yeah. 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 So what was your experience like then with pregnancy after the loss of Joshua? Was that just a really terrifying thing? It was. I found out that the problem started because I had something called an incompetent cervix. I'd never heard of that. I didn't know what it was. But then when I found out I had it, our doctor had told us that he wanted us to wait six months allow my body to heal mentally <laughs> and yeah. physically, and then we could try again. And once we had tasted that feeling of pregnancy, you know, we wanted, we wanted our child to hold in our arms and knowing that there wouldn't be a guarantee. I think there was that fear that this could happen to me again, and I don't want to go through that again. But at the same time, I would not how do I say this? I would not not want to go through that again because he was my son. And I think to my grief with that, Michael's not here, but for the two of us, I felt him moving in my womb. Mm -hmm. Michael only got to feel a little bit of that. And so he had a very much smaller connection, no less relevant, just smaller than what I had. And so we waited the six months and then I was able to get pregnant very easily. But I knew that when I got pregnant again, I would have to go on bed rest at 10 weeks of pregnancy and then have surgery at 14 weeks to sew that 
that cervix closed and then my bed rest my whole pregnancy. Wow. And so that's what happened. And yeah, yeah for our next uh, pregnancy. And I want to say something prior to getting pregnant, even with Joshua, before we even knew of the plan that God had laid out for us. And I think that Jill, it's always a good thing that God doesn't reveal to us what's down the road because I would not have raised my hand and volunteered for that. Exactly. <laughs> it was so yes. painful. But before we had ever got married, when we were engaged, Michael and I both had on our hearts that we wanted to adopt someday. Because of my background and my story, we knew there were kids who needed homes and needed parents, and we wanted to do that. L little did we know that that was going to be our story. Yeah. And so we lost Joshua. Uh, it was hard, 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 so hard to recover from that. And then we get pregnant, and uh, now this will be our second pregnancy, and so I go and go on bed rest and have my surgery at 14 weeks. And I start contracting again around 20 weeks. I'm already on bed rest. So yeah. lots of drinking water, laying on your side. You know, I had a home monitor, lots of doctor's appointments. And I was allowed to get off a of bed rest at 36 weeks. So I was so excited because I could I'd be out and about and Literally, I felt like a walking barn. I was so big, but <laughs> I went into labor at 39 weeks wow. and uh, back to the big city hospital and had some problems. Um, I had to have a procedure to cut away a lot of my cervix because the skin had grown over the stitches they put there and then they weren't able to get the baby out. So they had to bring her out. Um, and when she came, she was healthy. It was Kaylee. And she was the most beautiful baby in the nursery. And we were just, just in awe of God's goodness and redemption and redeeming those days of sad and hard and bringing us another little person to love. And it was moments after she was born that our doctor informed us I couldn't carry any more children. My cervix was not in a position that it would recover from what happened. And so we knew that right. this was our, our last biological child, and but we had already decided to adopt. Right. Yeah. So then you adopted two more children after yeah. Kaylee, is that right? Correct. Our son's our son Caleb, we got him when he was three weeks old. His birth mother chose us from a profile. So he, Kaylee would have been two when we got Caleb, and I couldn't imagine my life without him. Yeah. Um, I, we've told our kids, it doesn't matter how you come into the family. It just matters that you're in. Absolutely. And so, um, yeah, he's a, just a wonderful, godly man. It's been an honor to be his mom and to raise him, and he's getting married and about a month and a half. Yeah. And then our son, Luke, who now is 15, he was also came to us at two months old, chosen by his birth mother. And again, I couldn't imagine my life without Luke. He is my sunshine. Oh, I love that. Your sunshine. Yeah. And I love the whole, you know, this, the adoption theme. That's such a beautiful picture of the gospel. It and, is. Yeah. And you guys are living that out. And that's, that's wonderful. I'd like to talk about Kaylee a little bit. Okay. I want you to tell us about her. Help us get to know her. 
Okay, so Kaylee, from a very young age, we knew she was not only beautiful, but smart. By the age of two, she knew all her letters and sounds and could sit there and just tell you what this letter said, how to spell it, or how to write the letter, what it said, began reading at a young age, and uh, we had decided to homeschool. My husband was a teacher and decided we would homeschool and she wanted to start early, like at three years old. And so she could never get enough of learning. Uh, just always had a book in hand, always learning, always just wanting to just devour knowledge all the time. She was beautiful. She was smart. She um, was gifted in a lot of areas and she was our only daughter. And I referred to her often as my mini me. She looked just like me. <laughs> so yeah, she was our our only girl. And while she was beautiful and smart, she could be very rotten to her brothers, of course. And <laughs> uh, but they had a really good relationship. And um, yeah, it was lots of precious memories. Every picture I've seen of Kaylee, she just has this beautiful smile. She did. Yeah, absolutely. She homeschooled, uh, went to the, for most of her years, and then went to the um, private school for a couple of years and ended up coming back home because we were paying tuition for her to read library books because she'd get her work done so fast. And so we brought her back home and then she was able to go to college a year early and she was a sophomore in college. Um, She made it, she was studying she was chemistry major and she wanted to be a pediatric oncologist someday. Oh, wow. Now what made her interested in that field? Well, because at the age of eight years old, she was diagnosed with childhood cancer. Okay. I wasn't sure exactly how old she yes. was when she was diagnosed. Yeah. yeah. So talk about how, how did you know at eight years old that something was going on with Kaylee's health? Yeah. So we didn't know. She had no symptoms. We took her to the doctor for her eight-year-old well child checkup. And it was just great. Michael could be there that day because usually I took him during the day and he happened to be there and he was feeling her belly, the doctors, you know how they do. And he kind of got a strange look on his face. And then he asked us to come over. He said, I want you to feel the left side of her belly. And so we put our hands on there and he showed us how to push. He said, feel how soft that is. And we're like, yeah, you know, she's a skinny little eight-year-old kid. There's not much meat there. And then he said, now I want you to feel on the right side, uh, the right front of her abdomen. And we felt, and it wasn't soft. There was something in there. And so he said he was going to send us to the children's hospital in the city um, to get a scan done to kind of see what that was. And at that moment, I looked at the doctor and I said, what are you saying? And he said, I wish I could give you hope, but I can't. And that was the longest probably week of our life (laughs) waiting for that scan. And so we ended up at the end of the week, we took her to the nearest children's hospital and they did a CT scan and they came out um, and said that we'd like to move you to this private waiting room. And in that moment, you're like, Oh, that's not a good thing. Right. And then they said, Mom, when the phone rings, answer it. And I thought, I don't want to answer the phone. <laughs> I don't want and it was our doctor back here in Orville who told us that the scan showed there was a tumor there. It was most likely a type of lymphoma. 
and he was talking about, you know, prognosis and all this. And I already checked out at the word lymphoma. So I have oh, no sure. idea what the rest of that conversation was, right. but hence started a very long journey for us. And it ended up, it wasn't lymphoma, but we were scheduled to go the next week to the children's hospital to start this litany of appointments. She was not sick at all. So we go the next week and we start appointments and we're leaving to go and go to our friend's house to pick Caleb up. He was little, he was six. They were babysitting him and I get a phone call that they want us to come back to the hospital. They want to operate right away because they were very concerned the location of this tumor and the size of it. So they admit us and it ended up that Sunday, she had a five hour surgery to remove a grapefruit sized tumor from her abdomen that had grown from her spine through her. So we never saw it. And initially, you know, when they do a surgery like that, they kind of, um, they do some pathology in the operating room and it came back that they didn't know what it was. So they sent it out. And two days later, we got the diagnosis that it was a very rare form of childhood cancer called ganglioneuroblastoma, which is basically cancer of the nerve, the nervous system, but for her specifically from the ganglion nerve in her back, it had grown through her. They told us prognosis was really good. She had a 95% likelihood of never having another reoccurrence and that they would watch her closely with scans and um, she had a very large 10-inch incision, which is pretty much all the way across on a small child. And so started our journey um, back in 2002 of scans every two months and labs and just watching because there were some cells they could not get out. They were too close to her major artery. So um, she made it almost five years um, going through that routine. And we were one month from the five-year mark. And it's back. Yeah, because at that five-year mark, you probably think, well, at this point, yeah, we're home free, right? We're home free, yes. Yeah. That would switch to once a year. Yeah. But uh, they came back, and mm. so surgery again. And this time, uh, she got a staph infection in there. So we ended up having to stay another month in the hospital on a wound vac and um, back to all the same every two months, you know, the drill all the scanxiety that goes into that every time you have a scan wondering, is it coming? Is it growing? Is it spreading? She still did not have to have chemo at that point. And one more year after that point, she relapsed again, but this time there were more tumors. It didn't stay one tumor. Now we're in a different level. Um, this ushered in surgery and a year of chemotherapy, hard chemo, radiation, and we spent most of that year at the children's hospital. Mm -hmm. And that was actually the same year that we got Luke. And so when Luke was born, he was born with a lot of physical anomalies and that would require surgery. And so that year, I had both of them in the children's hospital at the same time, one for orthopedic, one for cancer, but it was actually yeah. easier than going separately. So sure. Wow. Yeah. So you would just kind of go from room to room, visiting Pretty the much. kids, hang yeah. out with the kids. Wow. Yeah. Michael and I would tag team off. And then we sure. had, um, my mother-in-law was there to help rock Luke. And so the three of us kind of rotated and took care yeah. of everybody. Yeah. So, and we had a lot of really good friends at our church here in Orville that helped out in between with Caleb because we were gone a lot, taking care of Caleb and then Luke and just helping us. Our church was wonderful. Yeah. 
Yeah. Friends like that are, are really important at a time like oh, that. Oh, yes, absolutely. Mm. So after that year of intensive chemo, radiation, surgery, I guess one of the things you learn along the way with a cancer journey is that you can't reuse the same treatments. And so after that year, we knew that if it came back again, we weren't getting such good favorable percentages anymore. And the likelihood of a treatment that was going to help was going to be not easily found because neuroblastoma, which is the root of what she had, she had a form of that, is very difficult to treat. And it's usually presents in small children and it does not have a favorable outcome. She was old to have what she had and it didn't have a roadmap of its own. So from this point now, um, this would have been in 2008, she made it. Uh, this was, and this was at a, I guess I want to say a really difficult time of life to begin with because now she's about 13 years old. Mm-hmm. So losing your hair is a big deal. Yes. Not being able to do social things with friends and feeling isolated. Those were probably as difficult on her emotionally as the physical of the chemo and cancer were. Yeah. So she continued to homeschool in between treatments and try to get through high school. And we sent her off to college. Um, her, her doctors had said she could go with somewhere in a two-mile radius of the hospital. And so we, had, we sent her to a Christian college, and she loved it there. And it was the fall of her sophomore year. She went for scans, and we got word that it was back, and it was a lot. Yeah, and I guess I knew at that t- that moment that it was would be the last time. I knew we were starting the long goodbye with our daughter at that mm-hmm. point, and so she stayed at college as long as she could um, until her health declined to the point she couldn't make it to class anymore, and it was taking too big of a toll on her. And then she moved back home, and uh, she got married briefly, actually, in there. Um, they wanted to get married and to experience that. And that's another story that's not mine to tell, but she had that experience and then her health continued to decline. And we tried some experimental treatments from everywhere, from taking her to a larger facility in the nation to, they got some drugs out of Germany for her. And I guess it was the fall of 2015. She, um, wasn't able to come home from the hospital anymore. She was paralyzed from the cancer. But you know, Jill, in the midst of that, her ministry for God quadrupled. She said to me at one point, you know, mom, cancer has taken a lot from me, but it's giving me things too. Because she Mm -hmm. said, if without it, I would probably be you know, doing my own thing, thinking of what med school to go to, and maybe I wouldn't be serving God as thoroughly as I am now. And she said, the only thing you can take to heaven with you is people. And you know, when I go somewhere, whether it's the hospital or vacation, I pack a lot. And so I want to make this count and I want to take as many people to heaven with me as I can. Wow. So she began filming a series of goodbye videos from her bed. The hospital set her up with a their tripod and their camera and a remote control. And she would film videos 
uh, she filmed a goodbye video to the world that she spoke at her own celebration of life service. Mm. She filmed one for us individually, each of us in the house, one for our extended family. And in it, she just reminded everybody that this life is not all there is, that we're made, we're not made for this one, we're made for that eternal one. And that she really wanted to see everybody again someday and share the gospel with them. Yeah. So it was December of 2015, 12 days before Christmas, that Kaylee was ready to go. Mm -hmm. She woke up that morning and said, today's my day for goodbyes. And you know, Jill, I wish I had the peace of mind in that moment to ask her, what do you see? How do you know? But she knew. And that night, she asked for her laptop to buy me one last Christmas gift. Um, that was pretty tough when those deliveries oh. came after she passed. Yeah. And at around the four four thirty in the morning, my husband and I were able to get in her bed with her at the hospital. And we thanked God for 21 years with our daughter and thanked him for how much he, that he knew we needed her. Yeah. And just thanked him for the wonderful privilege of being her parents. And we prayed and sang her into heaven. Amen. Hardest moment ever. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't even have words <laughs> <laughs> to follow that up. She knew where she was going. Yeah. And, you know, I think as parents, sometimes we lose sight of the target we're aiming at. As we're raising our kids, we can spend so much time thinking they've got to be the best little gymnast or the best little soccer player or the straightest of A students or the biggest artist. But I guess after losing Joshua and then Kaylee getting diagnosed with cancer, we knew that our arrow needed to shoot at Christ and that no matter how good she was, and she was so talented at so many things, that none of that at the end of her life had any significance. It was only her vertical relationship with Christ. And so I am so thankful for the years that we fed that, that we said, this comes first and this is what matters because that is what defines you in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I remember, um, I guess it was about two months before Kaylee passed away, we were having a hard conversation about death. And she kind of pulled me down to her face because breathing was hard. The cancer was compressing her heart and her lungs and tumors were everywhere. They were beyond the point of treatment at this time. And she said to me, mom, can't you go with me? And I said, oh, honey, if I could, I would. this This is a mile that every single person has to walk alone but I will hold your hand right up until Jesus takes the other one. And she said, okay, mom, I'll be brave. And you know, it was very hard as a parent to send my child into a situation that I hadn't been through myself. Yeah. But it's true. We all have to walk that mile alone. And I could not be more proud of sending her ahead of me to walk it. Before she passed away, she started a blog called finish well, and we still keep her blog up. It's, um, finishwell.weebly.com. And it's where she would talk about what it was kind of like to be her. And she wanted me to keep that going. And so I updated every so often or I asked her friends to, but she said, make sure that it counts for something because I want other people to finish well too. Wow. 
So she lived life on mission. And while I miss her intensely, the grief is so hard. I couldn't be more proud to be Kaylee's mom and Joshua's mom. He just didn't get the chance to, to leave as big of a splash as she did. Yeah. Yeah. That's something we say about Hannah is she taught us to live well and she taught us how to die well. So true. And, you know, Kaylee did the same thing for you guys. And through her videos, she even taught others, yes. <laughs> I think, how yes. to live well and how to die well. Yes. Are, are those videos, are, there, are any of those public or were all of those done privately for your family? Is, I guess what I'm asking is if there is a video I could link to in the show notes that people could watch if they wanted to see. Absolutely. If anyone would like to go on her blog at www.finishwell.weebly.com, there's a tab with her videos and her goodbye videos there. Her celebration of life is there. Um, She was also on a local TV station. She, um, while she was going through treatment herself, she was raising money for childhood cancer research and she hosted a lemonade stand in Cleveland, Ohio. So that that is up on there and um yeah so they can get to know Kaylee a little bit yeah i would yeah. love that well i will put that in the show notes so people that's can, great yes can look that up um yes i love that and i love that you pointed out you know about joshua too his life was shorter but it was of no less value exactly than Kaylee's, you know yes um he's an image bearer just like she yeah um I, I just, I, I think that's beautiful. Uh, we always say um, around while we're waiting, you know, a brief life or a short life is not an incomplete life. And Joshua's life was complete, you know, yes. and, and it continues to impact people today. Every time you share his story, just like Kaylee's life continues to impact people. Right. This concludes the first half of my conversation with Judy Hostetler. Be sure to come back next week for a very practical discussion of issues we bereaved parents deal with on a daily basis. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to sharing the rest of our chat with you next Wednesday.